0: the truth news network on every continent in every capital at colleges universities wherever solid thinking stands against the tides of insanity there is one voice a beacon a light in the murkiness of political swill from tnn
1: the truth
2: news network comes that voice dan newman oh my goodness We certainly find ourselves in the midst of political swill, and it was front and center yesterday in Uvalde, Texas. What am I talking about? I'm sure by now you heard, if you didn't see, that press briefing put on by the governor, Greg Abbott of Texas, and he addressed the the parents of those kids all in one big room in Uvalde. He addressed the media, and he addressed the rest of the world. It was an amazing two-hour get-together with the public by the governor, and at the end of it, Beto O'Rourke failed everything in politics, actually got up and went up front trying to, and he did, interrupt the meeting, and he was blaming Governor Greg Abbott for the shootings and the killings of those 19 children and two teachers. What a stinking, deplorable thing for anybody to do, especially, of all people, a politician. Stealing a political moment for political purposes. By the way, I remind you, he's running for governor against Greg Abbott, is Beto O'Rourke. Is this what our nation's coming to? Do common people, Americans... Do we want, do we think, and do we believe that everything needs to be turned into a political talking point, especially in the wake of the death of 19 fourth graders from the same class in the middle of the week in Uvalde, Texas, of all places? I know right where it is. I've been through there several times a very peaceful little town of 16,000 people. In just one moment, the lives of everybody in Uvalde, not just the parents, not just the other family members, but everybody in Uvalde, Texas, his life has been permanently altered. That's one of those things, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. It's going to hang out there. It'll be there. It'll be the... uh, Uh, the unspoken thing that will attend every birthday celebration, every Christmas, Easter, New Year's, July 4th celebration for every one of those families forever. That kind of life-changing event can happen just like that. And it did in Uvalde, Texas. Well, good morning, everybody. We didn't spend much time on yesterday's show talking about shootings in Uvalde. And the reason we didn't is we wanted to wait, let the dust settle and see about getting some more information. I also told you yesterday that in today's show we were going to, and we published a story about this very thing overnight, we were going to present to you for the second time a plan that we put together that's based on a country overseas a very good ally of the United States that had horrible school shootings for decades, and they completely shut it down almost 20 years ago. Who was it? How did they do it? Well, let's wade into that right now to begin the show. On February 16, 2018, we published the story that I'm going to give to you in just a moment. It is about, of course, school gun shootings. It's obviously applicable today in the wake of the Uvalde school shooting that happened Tuesday, and it killed 19 fourth graders, two teachers, 17 others injured. As is applicable today in the aftermath of any egregious public incident that impacts many – and that certainly includes a school shooting, any school shooting – it only takes about five minutes for politicians to jump on the bandwagon on each and every issue to score political brownie points that fit their particular political necessity on that day. In Beto O'Rourke's case, it was to get some free airtime on a a national news show, several of them, for political purposes. Though President Biden wasn't the first to take a shot with the usual political mantra of the left, which is to excoriate everyone on the planet who believes in the Second Amendment, he was the first important person to respond. And his response was classic. At the end of this, we'll probably, if we have time, we're going to play Biden's response to the Uvalde shooting. What's missing in all of this? Everybody feels horrible. We all do. Everybody in the nation and in the world should feel horrible about this. But what's missing in all of this? A plan. A plan is missing, any plan, that includes a realistic path to stop school shootings. So I want you to spend just a few minutes with me. And we published this article on February 16, 2018. What had just happened? On Valentine's Day, 2016, Parkland, Florida, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, Valentine's Day, 2018, student killed 17 people, wounded 17 others. And so all we were doing was pretty much what all of us are doing in the aftermath of the Uvalde school shootings. We're looking back. We're analyzing how did it happen, why did it happen, could it have been prevented, if so, how could it have been prevented, and can we prepare in any way to never let this happen again? Probably the most terrifying news for any parent is a phone call of a shooting at their child's school. Is there any way to prevent the ever-increasing shootings at our U.S. schools? It would be wonderful if somebody could wave a magic wand, make all these shooting incidents stop, or wave into existence a safety wall around every school to keep armed intruders out. But that wand doesn't exist. There are many options out there, many options for attacking this dilemma. Politically, though, as much ranting and raving about gun control as we see immediately following any school tragedy, nothing can be done regarding guns. Did you hear me? Nothing can be done regarding guns. Do you understand that? Nothing can be done regarding guns. The Second Amendment of the Constitution protects the rights of all Americans to own guns. The U.S. Supreme Court, in numerous cases brought by individuals, by states, by nonprofits through the years, has on multiple occasions confirmed that right, U.S. citizens can own and bear arms privately. The only way gun ownership could ever be made illegal would be with the Constitutional Amendment to do away with that provision of the Second Amendment. And such an amendment will never be approved by the American public. Anyway, folks, guns are not the problem. Assault weapons are not the problem. Do you believe that? Let me just throw one little factoid in there. It wasn't in this story from 2018. This will blow your mind. Do you know that more people or killed every year with hammers than are with long guns, which include AR-15s, that's the go-to assault weapon, which is really nothing like an assault weapon. More hammer murders than with long guns. Even though since 1999, deaths on school campuses in America total only 98, Only. Even just one child, any teachers or administrators in senseless gun violence, is unacceptable. Political posturing by D.C. and state lawmakers has never accomplished anything in the way of solving school shooting problems. But they still turn into showmen, as we saw Beto O'Rourke yesterday, back then in 20. in Valentine's Day, it was Connecticut Senator Murphy. He's a Democrat on the Senate floor, and he screamed this, turn on your television right now, you're going to see scenes of children running for their lives, said Murphy, who dealt with the Newtown massacre firsthand. What looks to be the 19th school shooting in this country, and we've not even hit March? Let me just note once again for my colleagues, This happens nowhere else other than in the United States of America, which is false. This epidemic of mass slaughter, this scourge of school shooting, after school shooting, it only happens here. Not because of coincidence, not because of bad luck, but as a consequence of our inaction. We are responsible for a level of mass atrocity that happens in this country with zero parallel anywhere else. So what are the barriers to fixing this school shooting problem? Number one, overcoming political hurdles. America must accept the fact that guns are here and guns are going to stay. Politicians need to stop the political posturing and start developing and implementing plans for fixing this problem that will work. And we're going to get into one in just a moment that is already working. Congressional narratives like that you just heard of Senator Murphy do nothing but illustrate the continual failure of not just Congress, but all elected leaders in the U.S. That includes those at state and local levels, too. How do we overcome those political hurdles? Demand and accept nothing less from elected officials than positive results. Positive results. Find real and possible solutions. Debate those. Develop plans using the best of them. And implement those plans. Gee, that's a novel idea, huh? Rather than follow a centuries-old proven method of fixing a problem, we just sit around and complain about the problem. Good old American ingenuity needs to kick in and take over this process. 19 babies would still be alive if this had been done in the aftermath of the Valentine's Day massacre in 2018 at that school in Plantation, Florida, why hadn't it already happened? That's the big question, because not enough of the correct and capable Americans who could do so care enough to do so. What are possible fixes that could be used in our schools to stop these senseless killings? Well, copying is the highest form of flattery. The United States is not the only free country on earth and certainly not the only country to ever face problems with gun killings. And there are free countries whose citizenry has done exactly what Americans are today, crying out, this has got to stop. We won't accept any more of these. So let's assume just for the next few minutes, we together agree to fight through these barriers and together find, debate, refine, revise a process to successfully stop school shootings. Why don't we just look around and find a plan somewhere that already works and make it work here? Duh. And that's what I did in 2018. And I looked to the east And I looked to the Middle East and I found Israel. Here's the perfect example of how to control school gun violence. The Israelis, not as politicians or police or individuals, the Israelis as a nation of people who unify for the cause of protecting school children have virtually eliminated instances of school gun violence. So why not take a close look at what they did and what they're doing? Send U.S. experts to Israel to spend time investigating those methods they use, analyze the cause and effect of the processes they use, identify the parts of their process that would work in the U.S., bring them home, and implement them here in U.S. schools. How does it work? Well, let's start at the top. There is a military service requirement for all Israeli young people, men and women. Those with physical impairments and those with religious objections to military service are exempt. All others serve a short stint in the military. They, therefore, have intense firearm training that follows them after they leave the military. Now, this doesn't mean... They own or handle guns. It means they know how to use guns in the proper circumstances. They, if they want to own a gun, must receive government approval to do so and only with the reasonable reason for having that gun. School buildings in Israel, listen to this, they are extremely secure. Ad nauseum, processes implemented And maintained. What did they do? Every school is fenced, some with fences extremely tall to prohibit bombs from being tossed over into a school facility. Now remember, Israel is bordered on all sides by the ocean and countries who each have terrorist elements whose constituents do not like Israel and occasionally they conduct terrorist acts against Israel, including schools. Almost all schools in Israel do not provide school buses as we do here in the U.S. Students use public transportation, primarily commercial buses. Each contain armed guards who are hired and are trained in self-defense and defense against a shooter or shooters. Schools each have a guarded entry gate, one entry gate, One, it's guarded, armed guards. All those who enter are stopped and questioned by a professional armed guard. Those entering, got to have valid identification, a verifiable reason or appointment to enter school grounds, and must be accompanied at all times when on school property. Emergency incident response for all types of emergencies are devised, implemented, practiced at periodic scheduled intervals, they include all personnel, all students who are regularly on the school property. Every type of catastrophe is planned for. Some teachers and administrators are armed. Now, their being armed is visible so that everybody knows who is armed. All teachers participate in a gun shooting and self-defense class, but teachers are not forced to carry a weapon. Doing so is voluntary. And the guards are not all armed. But those who are armed answer to either local police authorities or military authorities who specifically handle Israeli school security. So this begs the question, that doesn't sound like a really intricate plan, doesn't it? Yeah, it's going to require some money. It's going to require some coordination and planning and implementation, but isn't it worth it? Everybody's been screaming now for two days. They're going to scream for weeks and weeks and months and months. Guns killed all those babies. No, a young man who was mentally out of the wazoo killed those kids And he accessed that school. He had very easy access. More and more details of the specific happenings in Uvalde two days ago are coming out. And it looks like, at least very, very possibly, looks like if the police had taken quicker action, they could have stopped some of the killing. We'll get into that later. So how successful is Israel's school security at stopping these school shootings? Well, in 1974, Israel endured the Maelot Massacre in which Palestinian terrorists took 115 people hostage at Netiv Mir Elementary School. 115. 22 children, 3 others were killed, 68 injured. After that tragedy, Israel implemented the school protection plan that we just gave to you. Since 1974, that's 30, that's 40. 30 years would be, yeah, 40, it's, 50, it's almost 50 years, 48 years. In 48 years, there have been two incidents. Both were initiated by terrorists. And in those two, only four deaths occurred of students. More than 20 terrorists were killed during those incidents. All but two of those came at the hands of armed school guards, armed administrators, and even a couple of armed students. That plan obviously works pretty well in Israel. (laughs) Forty Eight years, folks, 48 years. And in Israel and in the Middle East, we hear all the time, we have for decades about terrorists who hate Israeli people and they kill, they assault, they do all kinds of stuff like that. That was going on at the school level. The last big one happened in 1974. Can it be done here or can something like it be done here? Well, there's only one way any plan for school security here is going to work. I don't care what it is. Any plan must be highly investigated and structured at the 10,000-foot level by the feds coordinating with the state and local school authorities so as to assure sufficient laws and or regulations are put in place to support and manage whatever the process looks like and implemented on the local level with cooperation from the feds, state, and state and local authorities, and the general public will obviously have to sign off on its implementation. In other words, election. That being said, just as in Israel, variations will be necessary based on nuances of individual schools' unique challenges. Considerations like exact location, facility structure, access, layout— and proximity to interstate highways, waterways, law enforcement headquarters and medical facilities all must be taken into consideration when planning and implementing this program locally. The Department of Justice here should, and I would assume would, necessarily take the lead in this program, but it would be imperative for law enforcement at the local level to assume and maintain every part of managing this program doing it in conjunction with the feds. What about cost? There's no doubt such a program on a national level would be costly, but how much money spent is too much to stop the killing of these innocent children. Honestly, when considering the cost of trying to implement and maintain some type of gun control here, even if legal and possible, would cost tens of billions of dollars and would never be successful. Uh, Just do a Google search, Australia's program for this, and you'll see it doesn't work at all. In summary, Washington, it's time to stop the pontification in front of the House and Senate and press conferences and on television talk shows. It's time to take action. Do something instead of screaming, gun control, gun control. You're not going to get gun control. Oh, by the way, novel idea, why don't you start enforcing the laws and holding those who break the laws, holding them accountable? If it means jail time for having illegal access to a gun or using a gun illegally, put them in jail. How about doing that? Well, we're not that kind of people anymore. We don't just throw people in jail. They have issues. We want to work with them. Okay, do this. You 535 sycophants, all of you aren't, but most of you are, that serve in Congress, 435 in the House, 100 in the Senate. Why don't you guys do this? If you don't like the gun laws that you passed previously, then change those gun laws. You're the only authority in the government that has the power to do it. And if you can't convince those that serve with you in Congress to come to your side of the aisle, they're representing Americans just like me and just like you. If you can't get somebody to agree with your side, they're the voice of their constituencies You're the voice of your constituencies. This is a democracy, right? That means majority. In fact, I just thought of this. That would probably work in every other part of running the government. Do what is on the books to do for everything. Enforce the laws. Stop this individual, arbitrary, hey, I'm above the law, I'm a federal authority, I don't have to enforce the laws, I don't like the immigration laws, I don't like the gun control laws, and so I'm just going to do whatever I want to do, or not do anything. 19 babies are dead because of that. If this call to action had been taken four years ago, Four years ago, probably every one of those 19 and those two teachers would be breathing today. They're not. Washington, do you really care about gun violence? Do you really care about kids getting shot at school? If you really care, do something about it instead of talking about doing something. And oh, by the way, Whoopi Goldberg on The View, Talking about doing away with guns. That is not going to happen. Give us another option, or two, or three. Give Americans a plan. Implement that plan to stop these killings. Do something, or resign your office to allow someone else who will do something to take your place. Doing nothing, waiting more, is unacceptable. Now, that is a story we published February of 2018. It was applicable. Why? Because it details what our politicians continually claim they want to do here to stop the killings. What's the difference? They don't care about stopping school and other mass shootings. If they did, they'd look at the facts. Facts that show that absolutely unenforced gun laws don't stop mass shootings. What will work? Fix the problem. And that can be done today. Enforce every state and federal law. Hold every lawbreaker accountable. Specifically, possession and use of guns to perpetrate criminal acts against all of us. Sounds reasonable and certainly simple enough, right? That leaves only one legitimate question to ask. And who are we going to ask it to? Our president. And if I had him in front of me or if he was listening in this this morning and I knew he was I'd ask him this pre- this question Mr. Biden why don't you why don't you mandate that all those in US law enforcement and prosecution enforce every federal law on the books I'd ask him that and then I would sit there and wait for him to reply I would not settle for anything less than a Not just a commitment, a specific commitment that in a specific period of time, we're going to put a plan together and implement it and it will parallel in its effectiveness what has stopped school shootings in Israel where they were happening every month up until 1974. And it's worked pretty good there for 48 years. We're not going to stop until we have something similar to that, at least that gives us similar or same results. If we don't change something, nothing is going to change. The way we are protecting our school campuses, our educators, and our school children is not working. If we want it to work and keep them safe, change has to be made. Do it, folks.
3: Do it. I'm a Verizon engineer, and today we're turning on 5G across the country, including right here in New York City, with the coverage of 5G nationwide and in more and more cities, the unprecedented performance of ultra-wideband. It will change your phone and how businesses do everything. I'm proud because we didn't build it the easy way. We built it right. This is the 5G America's been waiting for. Only from Verizon. 5G ultra-wideband available only in parts of select cities. 5G nationwide available in 1,800-plus cities.
4: Today on Hey
5: Culligan, softer equals better. Here's a tweet from Ed Itchy in Idaho. Hey Culligan, my laundry is so scratchy I just cut myself on a cable-knit sweater. Any suggestions? Hashtag send help. Hey, at Itchy in Idaho, yes, the Culligan high-efficiency water softener will make that thing so soft it'll go from cable-knit to cable knot. hashtag soft laundry hashtag already on the way get started for as little as ten dollars a month for six months of participating culligan dealers
0: if you think we're just four wheels and a grill think again the jeep grand cherokee redefines freedom but what really makes jeep it's finding the perfect balance between luxury and adventure without ever compromising it's driving across the country to see your family to make new memories. So, what makes cheap? You do. Cheap. There's only one. Cheap is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC.
6: The advanced surgeons at
3: the Center for Innovative GYN Care look beyond quick fixes like birth control to help their patients find the best treatment options for complex GYN conditions. My name is Sakina, and I had the CIGC groundbreaking minimally invasive hysterectomy. I got back to my life in a week with only two small incisions and minimal scarring. Discover the CIGC difference with offices in Midtown Manhattan and Montclair, New Jersey. Telemedicine appointments are also available. Book a consultation at InnovativeGYN.com or call 888-SURGERY.
0: This is the truth your mama warned you about. TNN. The Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. And Dan Newman. You
2: shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Knowing the truth. Do we know the truth? Or do we just know about the truth? Because I think if we really knew the truth, we would do something about it. Specifically about this gun shooting, mass shooting on our elementary and high school campuses. We got to stop it. Well, believe it or not, there's some people in DC that are actively have been and are working on the process. But every time they get something going, it seems like they get stuck on the political part of stopping these shootings. Can you believe there actually is a political part of this? I mean, common sense would tell you It's wrong for you to shoot somebody. It's wrong for people in places of authority, responsibility to let anybody shoot somebody, especially those people who have the power to stop it, and they don't. Ted Cruz, senator from Texas, this is right in his bailiwick, what's happening down in Uvalde, what happened two days ago and what's happening today and tomorrow, and it'll be happening a year from now for the rest of those people's lives who survived this shooting but lost loved ones in the shootings. Ted Cruz yesterday afternoon was on Fox news with Tucker Carlson and Tucker and Ted talked about what was going on. And there was some stupid stuff that happened. As I told you, Beto O'Rourke who's running for governor against Greg Abbott, the incumbent in Texas got in governor Abbott's face in this uh, meeting with the people of Uvalde by state, authorities, also local and regional authorities and medical authorities to talk through and come up and really educate the family members and friends of those that were shot. Beto O'Rourke makes, I don't even want to say it on the show what he made of it out of himself, but Ted Cruz addressed that with Tucker. But I want you to listen what Ted Cruz has tried to do in the past regarding legislation to stop this.
5: Well, Jesse, listen, you're, you're exactly right. I will say the entire state of Texas, the entire country is, is grief-stricken. Well, we have seen the face of evil here in South Texas. It is horrific. The kind of monster that, that walks into an elementary school and executes 19 little children. There are 19 families right now that are that are experiencing the most horrific and unimaginable agony. There is the nightmare of every parent. There, there are two more families, the families of those two teachers who, are, who heroically gave their lives. Enough is enough. This is horrific. So look, I agree with you. We need to do something, but the something is not the the empty political posturing. Uh, of people like you know Beto O'Rourke who shows up and tries to turn it into a, a political event instead of instead of a, a briefing with the police about a horrific mass murder that just happened. The something we can do is we can pass legislation. It's interesting, I was listening to what you were saying, Jesse. I've introduced legislation that would do much of that. In 2013, I introduced legislation that would spend 300 million dollars on federal grants to harden schools, to make them safer, to make them more protected. The Democrats filibustered that legislation. I've introduced legislation to, to say schools like this elementary school behind me can get federal grants to harden their security, to put in bulletproof doors, bulletproof glass, to put in armed police officers to protect kids. 1.3 billion dollars in federal funds that are available. Again, the Democrats blocked a vote on it. And, and I got to say, this is frustrating here. This mass murderer came in through an unlocked door in the back of the school. It's the exact same way the mass murderer came into the school in Santa Fe, just outside of Houston. I was there that horrible morning. I sat at round tables with the parents and families talking about how to make schools safer. And one of the things that that, that everyone agreed is don't have all of these unlocked back doors. Have one door into and out of the school and have that one door armed police officers at that door. If that had happened, if those federal grants had gone to this school, when that psychopath arrived, the armed police officers could have taken him out and we'd have 19 children and two teachers still alive. We need to do something, but it's not empty political posturing. It's acting and acting strongly to keep our kids safe.
4: Yeah, you mentioned Beto O'Rourke crashed the press conference today. Total disgrace. Humiliated himself. I want to play that for the audience, and then we can react. I know you were there.
5: Sit down. You're out. You're sit, sit sit out, out of line and an embarrassment. was after Sit down and don't The next
7: shooting is right now. And
3: you are doing
6: nothing. No. This is not predictable. This is totally predictable when you, hey, sir, you're out of line. Sir, you are out of line. sir. You are out of line. Please leave this auditorium
4: so you were standing right behind that whole action what was going down in the room when that went down
5: look i I was shocked we were going through a briefing listening to law enforcement about precisely what had happened about what the next steps were and and it was disgusting he strode to the front of the room and tried to turn it into a political rally And and i guess his campaign is flailing he's going to lose but, you know, just just after you ended that clip, the mayor of Uvalde, he, he turned to Beto, he said, you're a sick son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. Because to take something, you've got grieving families. You've got a community that is broken to pieces. And to try to politicize it and turn it into a rally the the way Beto did, it was really... I, I've seen a lot of crass behavior. That, that, that was embarrassing, and it, it was... It was disgusting.
4: Yeah, you got to read the room better than that, Beto. So um, before we let you go, do you think there's any chance you can get any sort of legislation through the Senate to to harden these soft targets, these schools? Is there any chance to put anything in action right now or you think it's just a lost cause with the Senate the way it is?
5: So look, I hope so. I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to keep fighting. I can tell you every time I've stood up to fight, the Democrats literally filibustered. they block a vote. In 2013, I introduced legislation called Grassley Cruz, which targeted felons and fugitives and with those with serious mental illness. It directed the Department of Justice to do an audit of, of federal convictions to make sure felons are in the database. It directed the Department of Justice to prosecute and put in jail felons and fugitives who try to illegally buy firearms. That vote, in in the Harry Reid Democrat Senate, I got a majority of the Senate voted in favor of Grassley-Cruz, but the Democrats filibustered it. They demanded 60 votes, they defeated it because they wanted to go after law-abiding citizens instead of stopping the bad guys. We need to stop the bad guys. All right, Senator Ted Cruz, our our hearts go out to you and everybody in the great state of Texas. Thanks for
4: joining us.
2: Obviously, Ted Cruz and uh, Beto O'Rourke are not on each other's Christmas card list. Um, They ran against each other, and of course, Ted Cruz uh, beat Beto York in uh, his bid for the Senate seat. That one Senate seat was open from the state of Texas. I got a comment from uh, a regular that listens to this show I thought was salient. Bud Hancock is his name. He read this story. He's listening in today. Dan, I agree that the Israeli plan for school security is excellent. Not surprising, since for many years the Israelis have been fighting against terrorists and others who use guns to kill Jews, and have become the world's experts in stopping this activity. But then Bud segued into what you just heard Ted Cruz talking about a little bit. However, Bud said, however, trying to get the politicians in this country to go along with this plan would be extremely difficult, if not impossible. In their decades-long attempt to destroy our nation and its freedoms in order to establish a new world order, the D.C. political establishment, both the Democrat and R parties, Republicans, have used the school shootings as the basis for their demand to take away our gun privileges. Any sane person, if there are any sane ones left in politics, he said, would do whatever it takes to keep our children safe. But the demands for a new world order transcend any such concerns of the political world. Bud Hancock said my recommendation would be for any parent concerned with the safety of their kids while at school, homeschool your kids. This would be far better than our current completely ineffective public school system anyway. I know this would present many hardships for parents who both work or for single-parent families, but what is the value of even one precious child. Wow. Well, there's another big thing that we need to weigh into about what's going on. And one thing I want to do is I want to wade into who this guy is, Salvador Ramos. He's the guy that killed these people. Tell you a little bit about him. And there's some puzzling and troubling news that's coming out of Uvalde When you look at the timeline of events that happened, it looks like Salvador Ramos was in the school for about an hour before he was taken out. What's that all about? What's that all about? NBC News, who I don't have much love and affection for, they weighed in early this morning with the latest update. Listen to what they have to say. Their analysis is pretty right on. This morning, investigators
3: piecing together what unfolded inside Robb Elementary during that terrible massacre. Video emerging that appears to show desperate parents outside the school. The AP reporting that one parent, Javier Casares, whose daughter was killed in the attack, said that he was upset police were not moving more quickly, telling the AP of the authorities that, quote, they were unprepared. Quesad is confirming those statements to NBC News. Different video appearing to show parents frustrated with police outside of the school. Authorities have not yet offered a firm timeline of the events. The Department of Public Safety director answering a question Wednesday about how long the suspect, 18-year-old Salvador Ramos, was on the premises before law enforcement killed him. I can't. It's going to be within a minute, like 40 minutes or something, within an hour. But I don't want to give you a particular timeline. But bottom line is that law enforcement was there. They did engage immediately. All of this comes as more chilling video emerges. Oh, a law enforcement source telling NBC News this brief clip shows the gunman running into the school, appearing to be dressed all in black, long gun in hand. Inside, authorities say he was confronted by an armed school resource officer, but kept going and made his way inside. Officials say that's when Ramos locked himself in a classroom and began his rampage. Border patrol officers eventually opened the door and exchanged gunfire with Ramos, killing him as investigators worked to piece together a motive. Ramos's aunt Shelby telling me she's in disbelief. My heart hurts for everyone right now. Do you have any idea why he flipped? People go
0: through things and nobody understands. Everybody has, you know, I don't know what was going
3: on. While he had no known criminal history or record of mental illness, officials say a series of private messages posted by Ramos on Facebook gave a chilling warning.
4: The third post, maybe less than 15 minutes before arriving at the school, was, I'm going to shoot an elementary school.
3: Across Texas, emotions running high. Former Congressman Beto O'Rourke, who is running for governor in Texas, disrupting his opponent Greg Abbott's news conference on Wednesday, saying another shooting would happen without real reform.
6: No, sir, you're out of line.
3: As so many others struggle to make sense of yet another mass shooting, this morning the painful images are continuing to pour in. The faces of the young victims, families torn apart by this evil.
2: We always say hug your kids every day and every morning when they go to school or after school.
3: And as this community continues to mourn again, there are those tough questions, and we have reached out to Texas authorities specifically to ask about the timeline. We still have not gotten any clear answers. And Savannah, the questions surround how long did it take police to take down the shooter? Was it 30 minutes, 40 minutes, an hour? We've gotten all those times, and parents are saying if it was 30 minutes, it's still way too long.
4: Well, and the man who lives across the street described that scene. We saw a video of it. Parents saying, go in, please go in. And this is, as you just mentioned, a school district that has doubled its school security budget in recent years.
3: When you think about all the things this school has done in this school district, they have social media software, threat assessments, they run through the plan. The
4: district has its own police force. Their own
3: police force. There was a guard here. The doors were supposed to be locked. On that point, there has been some reporting that there was an award ceremony on Tuesday so the doors may have been unlocked to the classroom. As far as the guard is concerned, this is starting to sound a little bit like what happened in Parkland. Well, remember, there was a guard there. He did not stop the shooter. It's unclear what happened here. I spoke to a law enforcement analyst who said, listen, we don't have the answers yet, but I will say this. When someone comes with an AR-15 style rifle, sometimes those guards are just simply outmanned.
4: Outgunned yeah. is what they are. Right. Uh, I had a father who I spoke to who told me my wife has to show her ID to get into this school every day to pick up our daughter. Somehow this gunman walked right into that school. There are a lot of questions this morning, Tom. Thank you
2: very much for being here. It doesn't take long to affect Evil. Obviously, this guy had been thinking about this for a while. So who the heck is this guy? Well, I think you know. We uh, Everybody knows his name. Salvador Ramos. His reign of terror inside that school lasted as long as an hour before he was killed. A twisted chain of events started when he purchased a pair of AR-15 style rifles for his 18th birthday. He was a high school dropout. He celebrated his milestone birthday, 18, with a dinner at Applebee's on May 16th with his grandmother, Celia Martinez Gonzalez, who, by the way, he shot her in the face two days ago before he unleashed this bloodbath at Robb Elementary. Exactly one week before the mass shooting and the day after his birthday, Ramos headed to local sporting goods store, Oasis, Oasis Outback, to buy a semi-automatic rifle. That's according to the Texas Department of Public Safety Director, Steve McCraw. Ramos returned the next day to buy 375 rounds of ammo, and then again two days later, last Friday, he picked up a Daniel Defense AR-style rifle. It's the first thing he did when he turned 18. That was what State Senator Ronald Gutierrez said. Both weapons were purchased legally. And Ramos, who had no prior criminal or mental health history, had no problem accessing those weapons. The guns typically retail for about $2,000. Ramos' online posts suggest he also bought a battery powered holograph site that typically sells for about $725. Then came those cryptic posts on social media. Ramos posted photos of guns on his Instagram, even tagging a woman who claims he was a complete stranger to her. I got a little secret I want to tell you. He privately messaged this woman with a smiley face emoji covering its mouth Tuesday morning, just hours before the slaughter. Later that morning, he took to Facebook. He revealed his horrifying plans about 30 minutes before opening fire on a class full of helpless fourth graders. The first post said, I'm going to shoot my grandmother. The second post was, I shot my grandmother. Texas Governor Greg Abbott, he confirmed that at that press conference yesterday, calling Ramos a demented person who brought evil to Uvalde. In that short space of time, the 16 shot his 66-year-old grandmother in the face at their quaint home they shared with his grandfather on Diaz Street in Uvalde. The elderly woman was able to run across the street to a neighbor to get help. The third post, maybe less than 15 minutes before arriving at the school, was, I'm going to shoot an elementary school. Facebook later clarifying that the posts were actually private messages to a recipient whom the platform did not identify. Then at about 11.30 a.m., Ramos, who didn't have a driver's license, swiped Gonzalez's truck, crashing it less than a half mile away in a ditch near Robb Elementary School. He was wearing a tactical vest, though that vest did not have the hardened body armor plates inside, which I thought was kind of curious. He ran toward the school with a backpack with one rifle with him across it. head with the other rifle later recovered in the truck. At a back door on the west side of the school, Ramos was confronted by a school resource officer, though McCraw said gunfire was not exchanged between the pair. I'm sure that's got to be ferreted out. What in the heck was going on with, you know, a guy standing there with a rifle trying to get in school? You're a, uh, a school resource officer. You're there to protect, and you let him get away. Ramos barricaded himself inside a fourth-grade classroom. That's where the carnage began. He was a cold-blooded killer, no doubt. He sprayed a hail of bullets into the room. He cut down 19 kids and two teachers, sending 17 students to the hospital. Other students jumping out windows, trying to save their own lives. One girl, Jo Garza, was frantically trying to dial 911, when Ramos fatally shot her, telling her and her classmates, you're going to die. As soon as he made entry into the school, he started shooting kids, teacher, whoever is in the way. Another 17 injured, though it's not clear whether they were all in that same classroom. All, All 19 of the students that were killed were in the same fourth grade classroom. Chaos, as you can imagine, ensued. School sending out a lockdown alert more than 10 minutes after cops got reports of a shooting in the area, promising parents that the students and staff are safe in the building. At 12.17 p.m., nearly 50 minutes after Ramos got into the school, the warning was upgraded to an active shooter. Officers, including a SWAT team of Border Patrol agents, then flooded the school where they engaged Ramos and kept him pinned down in the classroom. They breached the classroom door, went in, engaged Ramos and killed him at the scene, confirming that the fatal shot was fired by one of the border patrol agents who had been hailed as a hero. Officials did not divulge the exact time he was killed or how long he was in the classroom only estimating it was within 40 minutes or so, within an hour. It would be another two hours before Abbott would reveal the true horror of the atrocity, announcing at the time 14 students and one teacher were confirmed dead. And that tally later rose to 19 students and two teachers. What a horrible situation. Representative Tony Gonzalez, who represents Uvalde, he weighed in on his fellow Texan Beto O'Rourke's outburst during the governor's update on the shooting. Gonzalez says Beto was spewing rhetoric and hate when the community needs unity. It's sad to see a politician try to capitalize politically off the death of innocent children. Not today. Not today. This is about healing. Governor Abbott spoke for about 10 minutes before he tried to give Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick the floor, but Beto, who by the way is a former member of Congress, he's running for governor, he approached the stage and interrupted. Portions of his outburst were inaudible, though he accused Abbott of doing nothing to curb gun access, called the governor's response totally predictable. O'Rourke was Then escorted out of the auditorium after a brief exchange with several officials on stage. He actually got cussed out by the mayor. I mean, you heard Ted Cruz quote the mayor who called Beto O'Rourke an SOB. We all need to come together, Congressman Gonzalez told Fox. There's no time for political antics. Beto came down spewing rhetoric and hate. This is about unity. We all need to come together because everyone is hurting. Gonzalez also praised law enforcement's efforts. He specifically named Lieutenant Javier Martinez, whom he said took fire and was wounded within 24 hours, was briefly briefing leadership on what was happening. Ultimately, this was a joint law enforcement effort. That can't be understood. They saved lives. Over 600 children were in the school. Just imagine what this demented despot could have done if he had gotten out of that classroom. He had 370 rounds of ammo, which many had clips in that, uh, that backpack. As bad as this situation was, those men and women, Javier Martinez and Yavaldi Peace Chief Pete Arandondo, saved hundreds of lives. Well, somebody else stepped up and made a fool of themselves yesterday. You know, I I understand when things happen in the nation that impact Americans. A would-be politician or an already existing politician, it is such an opportunity to open the door and blast their political opponents, making brownie points while trying to draw people to their side of whatever the conversation is yeah that's what Beto O'Rourke was doing it but somebody else in the nation on a national level did something really stupid yesterday and this person's been called out for it I've got those details back right after this at TNN Live
0: speaking the truth the left doesn't want you to hear the Truth News Network.
8: When it comes to online meetings, you're crushing it. But if you want to crush something that's a little more fun, why not play Best Fiends, the five-star rated puzzle game? Best Fiends is loaded with challenging puzzles that are so much fun. And you're never accidentally on mute. So take a stress break with the cutest characters on the planet and download Best Fiends for free from the App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends.
3: You love chocolate. Mmm, chocolate. You love M&M's. Oh, yes. But your tastes have grown up, and you're just not wild about super sweet milk chocolate. So you've been avoiding (sniffs) M&M's. Yeah. Well, fear no more. Huh? M&M's Dark Chocolate to the Rescue.
1: My heroes.
3: M&M's Dark Chocolate Candies, available wherever fine candies are sold.
2: Certificating at the national and international level went through the roof yesterday. Everybody trying to get a leg up and make something out of this horror that happened in Uvalde, Texas. And besides Beto O'Rourke, there were other people that did the stupidest thing. President Biden, yesterday of all times and of all things to do, he signed an executive order that sets broad new policing standards for federal law enforcement agencies. Why yesterday? I mean, what a stupid thing to do at a stupid time. His executive order doesn't impact state and local police departments, but it encourages them to follow suit. So what's at stake here? Well, among other things, the order puts into place a police misconduct database mandates body cameras, limits no-knock warrants, and bans chokeholds unless deadly force is authorized. It's a measure of what we can do together to heal the very soul of this nation, to address profound fear and trauma exhaustion, particularly black Americans have experienced for generations, and to channel a private pain and public outrage into a rare mark of progress for years to come. That was President Biden. He said that during a live bill signing ceremony. The action comes on the two-year anniversary of the death of George Floyd. And this is the other stupid thing that I told you was going on out there. And what is that? In the wake, I mean, just hours after 21 people were killed, former President Barack Obama He raised a bunch of eyebrows, mine especially, for attempting to leak this week's mass shooting in Uvalde, Texas to the anniversary of George Floyd's murder. Now, what does that have to do with this? This executive order that Joe Biden issued, it was celebrating George Floyd's murder. Think about that. He was blasted. Obama commemorated Floyd's passing while trying to tie the current national mourning of the children killed in Uvalde. Obama said, as we grieve the children of Uvalde today, we should take time to recognize that two years have passed since the murder of George Floyd under the knee of a police officer. His killing stays with us all to this day, especially those who loved him. In the aftermath of his murder, Barak said, a new generation of activists rose up to channel their anguish into organized action, launching a movement to raise awareness of systemic racism and the need for criminal justice and police reform. He wasn't through yet. Not a single grieving parent gives a rip about what happened to Floyd or anyone right now. <laughs> I mean, the digs against Obama, they just came from everywhere. That was Red State editor Kira Davis for crying out loud, this is not the time to be advertising for your favorite activist group. How utterly vile. What in the world does a former have to do with the latter? Ben Shapiro wondered. I don't understand the connection, journalist Andy Ngo simply wrote. Bro, not the same at all. That's Ben Domenech. Ben Domenech is the publisher of The Federalist. It sucks those kids die. But remember George Floyd? He's who I'm still thinking about? Barack Obama? That was the CEO of the the Babylon Bee. George Floyd is the real victim of Uvalde. Washington Examiner contributor quipped that one. Bruh, this ain't it. Little kids slaughtered at school is not the equivalent of George Floyd dying after resisting arrest while he was high. That's Blaze Media podcast host Jason Whitlock wrote, declaring, This is one of the worst tweets in history. Well, well, well. This is crazy. That's all I can say. And here we are again. We have a school shooting and we sit around for days while we watch the parents bury their babies, knowing that their lives are eternally turned upside down. They'll never be the same. We lost a child in our family. It was a stillborn baby. We hadn't raised her. She wasn't in elementary school, so I can't equate what that feeling of losing that grandchild means to me. I can't conflate that with what these people, these parents, these siblings, these leaders in your these teachers, educators, what this is doing to them. And for anybody, especially a former president of the United States, to try To equate what happened two days ago in Uvalde with George Floyd's death in Minneapolis, that was a horrible situation. But it was under totally different circumstances. And of course, Obama's very, very number one and very obvious cause for his writing yesterday was to blast the killing of any, not person at the hands of police, but black person at the hands of police. And so Barack Obama, one of the greatest orators that's ever been in public office in this nation. And I'm being serious. He is, he's a great speaker. He could convince anybody about anything. Doesn't matter what you think about his perspective and, what he did when he was president. He was a great speaker normally was able to discern when it was good to say something when it wasn't his discernment went out the window here because he, he messed up, he messed up really, really bad. And, uh, I don't know that that is a recoverable thing because Americans memories are long, especially when it comes to things about their kids. Don't you agree? I mean, my kids and grandkids, don't you dare think about touching them. Poppy will take you on. And this poppy is not going to let you get away with doing anything to my grandkids. I just can't imagine trying. And we have one, two, three, two. We have four grandchildren that are still in school. They all go to the same school. But I can see a scenario where this exact kind of thing could happen at their school, even though at their school, there's a fence around the school. There's one way in, one way out. And there's a guard at that gate that stops everybody that comes through. That's just the beginning. That's just a start. We are looking at the security, the real security situation at that school. And we need to do that. Every parent, every grandparent, every educator, every politician needs to look at making that process work in the schools in their respective towns and districts and states. Well, Dan, that's going to cost a lot of money. There's no doubt about it. But let me ask you this. Don't you think that last... $40 billion check the United States sent to Ukraine last week. Don't you think that Donald Trump's whole philosophy about things to do in government being principally for the American people, America first, instead of sending money over to Ukraine as much as they obviously need it, it's not our fault that Vladimir Putin is invading, we've already provided billions of dollars of cold, hard cash, as well as military equipment, missiles, and all kinds of defense operation things. We've already done that. Do you realize that a crazed gunman killed 21 people unprovoked, 21 Americans unprovoked, 17 were killed in Plantation, Florida on Valentine's Day in 2018. On a large scale, we haven't done anything there. And yet we send $40 billion to a foreign nation. I mean, we're good people. We care for others. But the leaders in power in this nation at the national level, they are in the tank. You heard when I read that comment to the story about Israeli school security from Bud, and he talked about one world order, that's been voiced for decades. Oh, there's a group of very rich and powerful political people out there in the world that they want us to make everybody in the world, every nation in the world, be under the law and ruled by one government. Whether you want to call it the one world order or call it some kind of thing that very um, elite people in government and bureaucrats with a lot of money, what they think they want to do is be the ones in power over everything. Whether you believe it or not, evidence shows that that attitude is out there. It's out there now. I think as long as we, the people are we, the people, and we, the people are in power in our government, that'll never happen here. But if we just lay down and snooze and continue to snooze like we're doing now, why would there be any reason not for them to do that? If we're not going to stop them, if we're not going to do anything and just let them decide what they're going to do with our tax dollars. And it has nothing to do with making our schools safe to keep our kids alive. Why would you think they wouldn't be thinking and planning on doing that kind of thing? Not trying to scare you, trying to make you think. And we're in election season now. You know, the primary races have uh, already started. We had big primary elections in several places on Tuesday. We have many more coming up between now and the summertime. And of course, the midterm elections in November coming up—very, very important things. One of the primary races uh, on Tuesday was in Georgia on the Democrat side. Stacey Abrams—you know who she is. She ran for governor against Kemp, and Kemp beat her. She never, she never said she was beaten. She never made an announcement acknowledging that Brian Kemp beat her, and she's been out there just raising all kind of cane, raising millions of dollars, and she's running for governor when, of course, she won the Democratic primary. But here's something not a lot of people know, and I think everybody, especially in Georgia, needs to know. She serves as a board member and a a governor of a UPS family foundation that has repeatedly voiced its support for defunding and not just defunding, but abolishing the police. Hmm. She's trying to distance herself in her campaign from the hard line rhetoric of the hashtag defund the police movement in the past that she was all over. State filing show, however, she's still listed as a board member and governing person at the Seattle-based Marguerite Casey Foundation, which tweeted hashtag Defund the Police as recently as March of this year and hashtag Abolish the Police as recently as February. On March 10th, the Marguerite Casey Foundation tweeted hashtag Defund the Police while sharing a Washington Post story about the hidden billion-dollar cost of repeated police misconduct. March 3rd, the Foundation tweeted, Grant Recipient at Dream Defenders Plus Partners launched the Doctors Within Borders Urgent Care Clinic as part of a larger movement to create direct services and sites of intervention in police violence and prison systems. The Foundation also supports the abolishing law enforcement and prison systems. February 11th, they shared a story about the prison industrial complex in Atlanta and tweeted, hashtag abolish the police. There's more of it. There's more and more and more of it. But the point is, it is very obvious we have people on the left. They are no longer even making any attempt, any effort whatsoever to try to disguise their hard left philosophies and what they want to do. Is there any wonder why our criminal activity in America is just ramping up at epic speed and we're now at epic proportions? Our police across the nation, every level, federal, state, and local, many of these people are horrified because many Americans are looking at them now and they're being tagged as the bad guys by people like Stacey Abrams in this organization, which she is still on the board, and actively involved in. Defund the police means there won't be any police. If there are no cops, what happens? We no longer live in a nation. We live in a banana republic where anything goes. No laws, nothing matters. Do what you want to do. Fly by the seat of your pants. There's not going to be any accountability for any of it. i got to be honest with you. I don't want to live there. I don't want to live in that world. We, the people, have got to stop it. We've got to nip it in the bud. Nip it, nip it, nip it. Barney on the Andy Griffith Show. You remember that? we got to stop it now. We can't just float through this. We have to be on top, be proactive, and keep our nation what it is and what each and every one of us have been a part of making it and keeping it what it is and then we have things like this k through 12 schools that get public money k through 12 schools must allow boys in the girls private areas if they want to obtain federal funds for lunches breakfast and snacks biden administration just announced this a us department of education spokesman said the Biden administration's press release from several agencies announcing this policy will be followed by formal rulemaking that will be released to us all in June. It seems to be playing politics with feeding poor kids, which is really unfortunate. John Seltzer, Executive Director of the Indiana Non-Public Education Association, he said in the middle of weeks of attempting to sort out these new demands with government officials, on behalf of private schools in this state, because if a school feels like they can't participate because it's a conflict with their mission or values, if a religious exemption is not granted, you're taking away a program that's feeding low-income kids. Before many schools shut down in response to COVID-19, the National School Lunch Program fed nearly 30 million kids every school day and approximately 100,000 public and private schools and residential care facilities. Now in this new demand, establishments that take any federal food funding, it doesn't matter how much, including food stamps, must also allow males who claim to be female to access female private spaces like showers, bathrooms, sleeping areas. These organizations must also follow protocols like requiring staff to use inaccurate pronouns to describe transgender people and allowing male staff to dress as women while they're on the job. Religious institutions, however, qualify for a waiver exempting them from these requirements. That's according to Alliance Defending Freedom Senior Counsel, Greg Baylor in an interview on Monday. According to the 1972 title IX law, religious institutions don't have to file any paperwork to be exempt, although they can file paperwork if they want to. Baylor said that publicly affirming a commitment to sexual reality by seeking such an exemption, acknowledgement for sending it to the feds and them getting it may assist extremist pressure campaigns. The activist group Human Rights Campaign's blueprint for the Biden administration pushed for narrowing religious exemptions for multiple federal regulations and for the administration to out individuals and institutions who request these exemptions. So here's the deal. They want to erase the biological gender lines, which are biological, which is the science, which they've told us, We have to follow the science, follow the science. Oh, but don't follow the science here. If I identify as a cow, don't be surprised if I moo. Don't laugh at me. I'm going to moo because I identify as a cow. And even though I'm a human biologically, I'm now, boom, a cow. Treat me as such. If you don't do that, and you're a school of any kind, public or private, you're not going to get any federal money. It doesn't matter what you're doing with it. It doesn't matter how many kids you won't be feeding. (laughs) Is there any other explanation for this other than we are running as quick as we can down the road towards totalitarianism, and got to be honest with you, in some respects I think we're already there. And I think we blinded ourselves, or at least in the past few years, as we've seen it show its ugly head every now and then, we turn our back. We don't want to confront it. We certainly don't even want to identify it. We don't want anybody to know that we think it's out there and we're being quiet about it, but it's there folks. And we shouldn't be surprised. It's absolutely nothing new. It's been part of our lives growing, growing and growing. For as long as I've been alive, I I was not cognizant of it until about 1968, 69, and 70. And I began to pay attention to things going on around me. And I got shocked over and over and over again because I just assumed everything and everybody were okay. We're all in this together. We're the home of the free and the brave, equal justice for all. Endowed with certain unalienable rights by our creator not our government. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) I'm not poopying that concept. I'm poopying the fact that anybody thinks that just because it's there in writing, that it's okay and that everybody's going to say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, or yes, whoever you are. Got to get the proper pronouns in there. Just because you think something's right doesn't make it right. Just because you think something's wrong doesn't make it wrong. Computer, execute 12.4p operation.
3: Optimizing algorithm. Running encryption packet alpha night, night. Oh, I don't feel so good.
7: What? What is it, computer?
3: Is it hot in here? It feels hot in here? I feel a little clammy. I should lie down or s- something.
0: A computer with a virus? Surprising. What's not surprising? how much you could save by switching to geico
3: those oysters rockefeller were a mistake
0: geico 15 minutes could save you 15 percent or
1: more see the bold new expression of sporty style hear the amazing quietness of a truly luxurious cabin feel the exceptional horsepower and amazing torque and experience greater acceleration than ever before behold the most powerful sedan in its class the new Toyota Camry real power absolute performance discover the new Camry at toyota.com.my in every age a technology is created that
0: upends the foundations of society the wheel the printing press the internet now in a world sliding into financial chaos a new technology is changing the way monetary systems work around the world it is called bitcoin bitcoin is a new form of money controlled not by banks governments or corporations but through mutual commerce between free individuals to learn more visit weusecoins.com
1: drinking water
5: is essential to your health That's why you need to drink plenty of water to keep you hydrated throughout the day. Unlike power drinks or soft drinks, water is truly the only drink that can quench your thirst. It's an easy, refreshing way to keep your body healthy and strong. Freshen up today with a brisk, cool bottle of
1: water.
0: Election cycles come and go. White House reporters come and go. The truth is a diamond because it's forever. TNN, the Truth News Network. Your jeweler today is Dan Newman.
2: During the break, this information was just slid across to me. A school district, another school district in South Texas, shut down campuses for the remainder of the week. Why? Police discovered an AK-47 and an apparent kill list in a suspect's home. The Donna, Texas, Independent School District shut down campuses after they receive what they're calling a credible threat. In light of the recent events and in an abundance of caution, we will be canceling school district-wide classes and staff will work from home. The safety and security of our students and staff are our first priority. Classes will resume Tuesday morning. This issue first came up early this morning. The Monitor, who reported it first, quoted an unnamed official stating that authorities had found an AK-47. Now, what's an AK-47? It's just exactly like, in form, and what it does, an AR-15. AR-15s, those are the weapons, the long guns, that Joe Biden and many others, they prefer to call assault weapons, weapons of war. Neither one of those is even close to being remotely truthful. They're both AK-47s and AR-15s or semi-automatic rifles. They're not automatic weapons. Automatic weapons are like machine guns. You pull and hold the trigger, it will immediately begin to shoot in rapid succession. Bam, 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 like a machine gun. Until all of the uh, bullets that are in the gun are exhausted or the shooter releases the trigger. Automatic weapons in the United States can only be held and used by law enforcement. Private ownership of automatic weapons is extremely difficult to get permission to do, and a cost of it costs a fortune. It takes about anywhere from 18 months to three years to get approved to even buy one. They're very, very rare. Now, the AR-15 is an American long gun, semi-automatic. It's not used in the military. The M4 automatic weapon is what is used in the military. It looks very closely to be the same gun as an AR-15, but it's not. It's fully automatic. An AK-47 is very different in the way it operates, but it's a semi-automatic rifle, and it's Russian. AK-47s are made in Russia. The local newspaper in Donna claimed there were two or three suspects behind this plot to carry out a shooting at one of the Donna Independent School District schools. It's unclear still if the suspects are students. So how did this all get into the public purview? Well, the discovery of the plot, it comes days after an 18-year-old killed 19 students, two teachers at Robb Elementary in Uvalde, Shooting has pushed several school districts across Texas to heighten their awareness and everybody knows and understands it. More details about this this action that's being taken in Donna, Texas is still pending. I'm sure we'll get more details about it. But often when you have tragedies that happen, murders, slaughters, natural disasters, when there's a lot of news coverage a lot of people take advantage of those opportunities, and there's a lot of copycat stuff that happens, especially when it pertains to school shootings. Let's just hope none of that happens. <laughs> I mean, we don't, we don't need any more. What's your summer looking like, the lead-up to the summer months? June's typically what we think is the beginning of summer, typically because schools are out, the end of May, almost always. Early June in some cases, but summer, June, July, and August, when I was growing up, that was summer for all of us. And where I live in the South, and I live in Northwest Louisiana now, I grew up in extreme South Central Louisiana, where it was always humid. And in South Louisiana, even in many cases here in North Louisiana, when it's 90 degrees here, the relative humidity is also in the 80s or 90s which means it feels like it's 105 degrees and you sweat, but your sweat doesn't evaporate and you're soaking wet all the time. We're looking, according to energy experts, we're looking this summer nationwide at deadly summer blackouts as being inevitable. Why? Renewables renewables are struggling to replace Reliable energy. According to the North American Electric Reliability Corporation, the NERC, Americans will need to brace for a deadly blackout under a hotter-than-usual summer, warning a major energy problem is going to stop life as we know it this summer in certain parts of the country. The entire western U.S., along with the majority of the Midwest, Texas, and the Western Front, face high or elevated risk of energy emergencies brought on by severe drought, unreliable solar, and supply chain issues hampering conventional energy sources. We've been doing this for close to 30 years, an ERC director of reliability assessment and performance analysis, John Mura, said. This is probably one of the grimmest pictures we've painted in a while. Last week, the summer outlook from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration forecast temperatures above what the agency considers normal compared to the prior 143 years or so, with relatively low precipitation across much of the West and the Plains. So what does that mean? Lack of water, higher than normal temps, are expected to stress our power grid beyond capacity. And then low water levels will limit plants' ability to keep cool while directly reducing power generated by hydroelectric dams. Energy output from hydro generators throughout most of the western U.S. is being affected by widespread drought and below-normal snowpack. Solar panels, on the other hand, will be unable to generate power from the sun. Why? Clouded out by smoke from wildfires. Seemingly worse every year as a consequent of negligent land management. I'll get into that in just a moment. Critically, Mora told Bloomberg, the early retirement of fossil fuel plants shares much of the blame for this year's vulnerabilities in the nation's energy infrastructure. The pace of our grid transformation, it's out of sync, he said. As President Joe Biden rushes to promote unreliable renewables to replace reliable, lower-cost coal and natural gas. At the same time, the Biden administration is shutting down domestic energy projects in the form of fossil fuels, even as gas prices continue to reach new records every day. Think about that. Back away from the meat of the story and just put it in line with every other thing that's happening under Joe Biden's hands as president of the United States. Why, how could he still have an approval rating of between 30, uh, 25 and 30%. I'm sorry, between 25, between 25 and 30%. Yeah, that's right. How could Americans possibly believe based on everything we are experiencing across the board? Nobody's exempt. I mean, everybody buys groceries, I went to the grocery store yesterday and got three bags of groceries and some soft drinks, and I remember doing that often in the past, not too long ago, and the bill would be some, someplace between 75 and 100 bucks. It was $140, same stuff, same amount of the same stuff. And then look at everything else. Everything is more expensive. Why is it more expensive? Supply and demand. You can't get it, and so when you do get some of it, you're not going to have as as much to sell if you're uh, a vendor. And so what do you do? You have to hike the price on what you have because you're not going to have any more. Supply and demand is what drives capitalism. And so what does that do? It drives the ingenuity to create new processes to take care of the demands by having the material, the goods, and services that those demands request require. That's not happening under this president. He actually was gleeful day before yesterday when he was discussing the rising cost of gasoline. And here's why he was gleeful. He sees it as a good example of pushing Americans to walk away from fossil fuel use and to embrace renewable energy sources. And what are those? Solar, hydroelectric, wind energy, certainly not anything that comes out of the ground, nothing hydrogen related, no carbon stuff. No, 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 no. He is a climatologist believer in climate change. The very fact that term even exists, climate change, you know why it resists? Why it exists? Back in the 70s and 80s, they were forecasting an ice age. Yeah, we're going to have another ice age. When it didn't work, they had to change their mantra. So we get to the 90s, and what do they do? Global warming. And they begin to make all these dire predictions. Al Gore, oh, by this year... Everything's going to be just desert. We're killing our nation by raising arbitrarily temperatures. That's going to put water at new levels around the world. We won't be able to live like we've ever been able to live. And it was going to happen. They even gave specific dates it was going to happen by. Nothing happened. So this time somebody got in Al Gore's ear and said, you know what we need to do instead of we were in ice age, Then we were looking at global warming. When none of those worked, we got blasted. Whatever credibility had was gone. We've got to change it so that we can talk about this whole process generically and not be proven every cycle to be illiterate. So how do we do that? Let's just talk about climate. And instead of talking about global warming or ice age or any of that kind of stuff, let's just do this. Let's just concentrate on selling to the people of Earth climate change, whether the climate is good or bad, it's going to be ever-changing, and that means it's going to destroy the planet Earth. And that's what they've done. So now they don't have to change their mantra anymore. They can claim anything and say, Our evidence shows this, we have our truths, you have yours. And unless and until we do something about it, this is just right now on the uptick of costing the United States of America tens of trillions of dollars and people on streets because they can't afford to live. Transportation Secretary Beto O'Rourke, he kind of laughed at somebody that questioned him about the Green New Deal and energy and battery power. That, of course, is the panacea for those on the left, at least temporarily. Ah, we got to go to battery power, battery power. When I first got out of college, I got in the car business. And there weren't cars back in the mid to late 70s and early 80s that were really Fuel efficient, And we had gas prices that had amped up. We were in wars with the Middle East. They, of course, really became the number one providers of oil and natural gas around the world. And so prices at the pump kept going up. And we were taught as salesmen, Ford Motor Company, Ford Lincoln Mercury salesmen, we were taught to not talk about the miles per gallon. But in every car that we sold, you know, where the federal government made them start putting on the window stickers, what the official miles per gallon, the MPG that this car was getting, instead of concentrating on that figure miles per dollar. And what that does, it factors in the cost of the vehicle. And you put that together with the MPG, you can come up with a number and sell that to people interesting, isn't it? Things are changing. (laughs) Things were changing. Looking back over to our shoulder, you know, for two years, we have been watching just major insanity play out on the streets of America. I can't tell you how shocked. The one video thing that I watched that really shocked me the most was in Rochester, New York. Now that 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 didn't get a lot of attention. Well, Rochester's not a major city; it's not even close to being to the top in the state of New York. But what was amazing to me—it was a Black Lives Matter protest. They were marching down the streets in Rochester, and I'll never forget this: they would walk down the street en masse and walk through a business part of town, and all of these people with Black Lives Matter that were in this protest march. They would just walk into restaurants along the way, walk through the restaurant, through the tables and chairs with patrons in there that were eating, and they weren't doing anything drastic. They weren't beating anybody up. But several times in the video, I saw people just reaching over these uh, protesters and grabbing food off the plates of the patrons to these restaurants. People were in their homes. They were actually going into homes along the way, doing similar things. And then in Portland, we have the day after day, month after month of Antifa riots, protesters burning that city down. I can't tell you how many times they had to repair and replace and repaint the federal building there. It was protesting. Millions of dollars worth of damage was done. Several people killed in altercations there. And then the Black Lives Matter, other horrible protests that turned into riots in many cases. On the Miracle Mile in Chicago, down on the river, a very, very nice part of Chicago. I like it there. And there's a bunch of very expensive designer clothing, jewelry, jewelry, stores along the Miracle Mile. And one night, they just decided Black Lives Matter. They just went down the street, breaking windows, breaking into these stores, stealing things, hundreds of millions of dollars. I'll never forget it. I watched a man, an African-American man, and I just have to throw that in there because it wasn't an Antifa person that was doing this, broke the window of a jewelry store and went in and came back out through this display window carrying two Rolex watch boxes, one under each arm. And they were the purple outside box. I happen to know what that is. That's a Rolex President. Very expensive watch. 18-karat gold bracelet and the watch itself, 18-karat gold. Had one of those boxes under each arm. Retail price of two Rolex President's 70 million, uh, $70,000, $35,000 a piece. And one black lives matter leader was questioned on the street that night about how they could justify doing this. And she actually said this, and we played the audio bite on our show that particular next day. She, she looked at the questioner and she said, I don't know what you're upset about. I don't, I don't think anything bad about people that were going in and, and stealing to be able to sell so they can pay rent on where they live and buy food for their families. I don't think that's anything wrong with that. We lived through that. And I don't know about you, but I didn't think it was going to last forever. I thought it was going to be temporary seasonal at best, and that we were going to get back to norm in just a short period of time. Here we are two years later. We're still dealing with the same mentality, but it's only been ratcheted up two, three, four, five, or six notches. It's not getting better. And to be quite honest with you, this nation took a nosedive when on January 20th of 2020, Joe Biden took his oath of office, swore an oath, to protect and defend the nation and our Constitution and the rule of law, in the very first day when he went to the White House, he broke his oath of office, and he has just been daily ripping it apart again and again and again. And we're close to living in a nation without laws, at least the laws that those on the left that are in power, the Democrat Party in Congress, And the Democrat in the White House, they don't enforce laws. They don't like the laws. The laws protect the people. And they don't want that to happen. Unless and until we get that straightened out, we're going to keep sliding down this hill.
0: Long live the courageous. The tenacious. The ones who push forward and give back. Long live the greater good. The helping hand. Those who fall and get back up. And long live the truck with the strength to overcome. Our work And the commitment to outlast them all. RAM proven to last.
2: You know who Rachel Campos Duffy is. Her husband, Sean Duffy, was a member of the United States House of Representatives. He decided not to run for re-election to help her handle their newborn child who was a special needs child. She is a weekend co-anchor at Fox News Friends and Family, Saturday mornings. Last week, she made a very, very deeply uh, intricate trip to the southern border and was given and spent a lot of time with Border Patrol agents, ICE agents, getting the facts about what's going on at the southern border. Needless to say, she as a commentator on Fox News, a major network. She knew and saw a lot of the problem down there, but it's one thing to See pictures and videos. It's another thing to go and fly over and walk through and do hands-on. See for yourself what's going on down there. Rachel Campos Duffy with Fox & Friends, the regular morning show. She explained and gave some footage and some audio about exactly what she saw going on.
8: After getting a bird's eye view, Lieutenant Olivares took me to get a closer look at the border crisis from the front lines right next to the Rio Grande.
7: This is an area here that we've seen increased activity. You see all the different clothing that's been discarded, shoes, personal items.
8: This is someone's private property right right here.
7: All this is private property. And what you're seeing here, this barbed wire, this is something that was put up by the state uh, to try to, of course, you know, stop some of the crossings that were taking place. But you see what they're doing now is some of the wet clothing. They use it to push down on the barbed wire and that allows them to cross over. This is the federal government's job is to secure the border. But right now the state of Texas is having to bear this burden by providing all these state resources, troopers, national guardsmen, putting up fencing. This is all taxpayer money. This is a state funded operation and it shouldn't be that way because the federal government, this yeah. is their responsibility, is to safeguard the Americans and to safeguard the border and to secure it.
8: Who controls this, this area? I mean, honestly. Is it the cartels?
7: The cartels. They're using that messaging that as far as the border is open to have these, to encourage these migrants to make this journey. Every person that crosses that river, whether it be a child, a woman, a family, they pay a fee to that cartel. I
8: spoke to some Cubans that were interdicted this morning. Cada uno. Cada uno. Each one of them spent about $12,000 to the coyotes to get to this point right here because they're being arrested. We just saw a group of illegal migrants cross over here. So the only people who have any benefits where he comes from is if they work for the government in Nicaragua.
7: um...
8: So I started talking to them. They were willing to give me an interview, but then the Border Patrol came and said, now you're in my custody. You can't talk to them, the media, anymore. So this is just another example of how the federal government doesn't want us to know what's going on. I've been shocked by the lack of transparency, and I don't blame Border Patrol. That's
7: a good question for the federal government to answer. That right? I mean, I, they need they need to be transparent on what's taking place because this affects everybody. It doesn't affect the state of Texas. Every state right now is a border state
8: because of this crisis. Probably one of the saddest things I've seen is the children that are coming across a, li- a little life jacket right there obviously a child's right. life jacket they're making this journey with kids
7: this is much more than just immigration of course it's border security national security but also we got to take into account the children that are coming across and how they are being victimized by not only the criminal organizations but once they make the journey to united states where do they end up
8: about 60 miles away right here in uvalde texas we're standing in front of the unaccompanied minors migrant facility for the entire del rio sector Not even the mayor is allowed to see what goes on inside. We
6: had local churches and different things that went out and bought clothes, formula, food for the kids in there. Tried to bring it, weren't allowed. This is the most non transparent government that I've ever seen in my life. You see Circular Mookish in the Rio Grande Valley or whatever, and he's got this great entourage of law enforcement and people following him everywhere he goes. Go stay on the ranch, two miles from the border. See what the common, ordinary American citizen has to deal with because of your lack ability to take care of the border. If right now, you got families in our community that won't let their kids play outside unless one of the parents is out there with a gun. With a gun. With a gun, because you don't know what's coming by.
8: You guys just can't handle this amount of mm-hmm. illegal immigration coming through Uvalde.
6: We can't. They've, pulled, they've already pulled most of our agents out here to go to process the centers so they can process them. So they don't plan to send these people back. They plan to process them as quickly as they can and release them. They're not staying in Uvalde. They're passing through Uvalde. So they're going to your your community. You're going to your big cities. You're going to the East Coast. You're going to the uh, West Coast uh, and, and to Mid-America.
8: Uh, I- it was just an incredible trip, so eye-opening. Uh, I've been in touch with Lieutenant Oliveras, who you saw in that piece. He sent me this weekend this photo. Um, he was on a ranch not far from where we were there in Eagle Pass. This little boy was captured on their cameras. He was abandoned by the cartels. They're now looking for him to see where he's at. This He said this is very common. Once the child is of no use to the cartel and to the group that's crossing over, they're often just left there. Um, the mayor, uh, and by the way, I've just been praying all weekend for him. He's the same age. He actually looks a little bit like my little boy. I mean, it's just, I I cannot um, tell you how heartbreaking it is. The mayor of Uvalde told me that um, while he can't get into the facilities, even though he's had churches, you know, willing to go in to help the uh, the migrant minor center, um, they they wanted to minister to the kids, read to them, um, you know, bring toys. They're not allowed to do anything. They're never allowed to get in there or see anything. They do see occasionally 11, 12, 13-year-olds in the hospital in the local hospital in Uvalde delivering babies. So we know the children are being uh, mistreated and victimized coming across this border. Our government knows that, and frankly, we are all complicit in it um, because this is happening. Our government knows it, and they're continuing to do this. This the, the, the takeaway for me from this trip, Ainsley, Brian, and Will, is that there is this is not about security. This was entirely a processing uh, program for our federal government instead mm-hmm. of sending people back they just build bigger processing centers so they can move right. people through quicker so and then send them out to the rest of the country
2: so what are we going to do are we going to get together every morning from now on monday through friday 9 to 11 tnn live and let's talk about all the stuff that is happening every day across the nation to everybody Because it's only happening because our law enforcement from the top down are arbitrarily determining not to enforce duly passed laws. Do you realize that if the immigration laws that have been in existence for a while, Congress, many people that are part of this government today were part of it when all of these immigration laws were passed, including this president including the former president, Barack Obama, when he was a U.S. senator. And now they just say, you know what, we don't like those laws that we voted for. And whoever the president was back then signed into law, we don't like him anymore. Well, what you're supposed to do if you're a member of Congress and you don't like a law, you're supposed to go through the lawmaking process, which is very explicit of what to do if you got a law you don't like. You go back and you either attempt to amend it or you go to the floor of both houses, convince your fellow people serving in the House or the Senate that getting rid of that law is going to answer the problems that we're seeing. And you change the laws. That's an arduous process. It's detailed. There's so much minutia. I don't have the time to do that. We need to just hurry up. We've got to open the border so all these poor indigents from Central America can come and get a life, a real life in the United States. Are we going to continue to go down that road? I mean, and it's not just immigration. Look at everything else we're facing. Look at inflation. Look at the cost of gas. Look at the cost of your utilities. Go to the grocery store. And then, oh, by the way, look at all the other stuff around in your faces. We have a major energy crisis in the United States when two months before Joe Biden took office, we were energy independent in the United States, and on his first day in the White House, he started the slide down to where we are today. We are back in cahoots with a nation of Iran who are developing a nuclear weapon, and we're not doing anything about it. Why? Because Biden's president and he and Barack are the ones that started that deal, and got in bed with the Iranians. And the list goes on and on and on. And folks, we're living in a political world with leadership, not just at the White House, but down the street in Congress. The leadership in both uh, geographical locations are in the tank, hardcore left. And they want this nation to become a nation. They call it Democrat socialism, but they want Democrats won't even admit that that's their hope and their plan. What they really want is totalitarianism light, where big government controls and the people at the top do whatever they want to do to make things happen. Oh my gosh, what a downer day, huh? <laughs> hey, thank you for being here. Have a great one. We're going to be back tomorrow morning. I've been
1: walking through the fields and on the street.